What questions do you have about your faith? The early Christians had lots of questions, and one of the questions they raised was, how do we make sense of the cross? How were they to be saved by a man who died as a criminal? Paul knows that there are a variety of options for answering their questions, so listen to what Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. May God bless this reading to our understanding. Why did Jesus die? The Gospel of Mark tells us that even as Jesus was hung on the cross, some taunted him and said, If you are truly God's son, save yourself and come down from the cross. Sometimes, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to think that God sent the fullness of God's love into this world in a person named Jesus and that this Jesus would go around healing the sick, feeding the starving, teaching people how to more fully love God and love one another, and then he would be killed. Now, if this question, why did Jesus die, is your question, I highly recommend that you go and watch the YouTube video made by our new executive minister, Reverend Bryce Bowers. He does an excellent job in the video. In fact, I would highly recommend that you go and watch all the videos that have been made by our clergy to correspond with the weeks of this sermon series. You don't need to be in one of the small groups. Just go on YouTube or go on the church's website or read the newsletter and you can watch each of the videos. A new one is released each week to go along with this series, Questions Christians Ask. Bryce reviews the various ways that Christians have answered this question throughout the 2,000 years of Christian history, and the answer has not always been the same. It has varied throughout different chapters of history, depending on the cultural milieu, and perhaps, really, there is no single answer that will do this question justice. To think, to think really, that we killed, we, I mean you and me and all of humanity, not just the ancient people, but to think that we killed the essence of God is just absolutely mind-boggling, unexplainable, 
stunning. And so if this is your question, if it's ever been your question, if it's ever even been passing yearning or wondering, well, you're in good company. Because Paul's letter to the people in Corinth represents some of the very earliest writing that we have in the Christian Bible. Paul was a faithful Jew who became a Christian and then spent his life spreading Christianity, starting new churches in the Greek and Roman Empire. And Paul, in these very early decades of Christianity after the death of Jesus, acknowledges that the cross is a big stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. It just doesn't make sense to people. They're confused. Don't we worship a God who has the power to remake the world? How can we possibly worship a God who was so weak that he was nailed to a cross? The problem, you see, the problem is not just that Jesus died. The problem is worse than that. Jesus died in the most brutal fashion we could imagine. Crucifixion was not the way that ordinary criminals were put to death. Crucifixion was reserved for those whom the government meant to make an example of because they were a threat either to political stability or national security. Jesus was tortured and executed so that people could see him shamed and demeaned in public. He didn't just die. He died a horrific death at the hands of the highest religious and political authority of his day. He died, as you know, abandoned by his closest friends. And this is why the people in Paul's day say that Christians, you're just foolish to worship this kind of God. And their word for foolish is not like I would use it today, meaning, well, that's just silly. The word foolish in the text comes from the word moria, which is the root word of moron. Isn't it foolish of us to worship a God who looked so weak that he breathed his last breath on a cross? Now, I know. <laughs> Some of you are already thinking, doesn't she know there is a simple answer to this conundrum? Jesus died to save us from our sins. Didn't she go to Sunday school? We've heard this all our lives but what does it mean? How do you find that your life has been saved by this foolish death? Too often, I'm afraid that we Christians have made this into some kind of simplistic transaction. Too often, I think that we have seen the cross as just something that happened so that we could earn a ticket to heaven. Now, if that works for you, I am not here today to talk you out of it. For, but for me, it seems like that kind of transaction makes God more of an angry God and someone had to go and repair things between me and God before I was eligible to receive the grace and the goodness of God, let alone what it says about how God would treat God's son. So how does God save us with Jesus' death on a cross? Let me tell you a story. 
It comes from a rather simplistic novel that has been on the bestseller list lately called The Maid. Molly is a hotel maid, and Molly is, you might call her socially awkward. You might even infer from reading that she's on the spectrum. She's, she's actually a fantastic hotel employee, a really good hotel maid, but Molly lacks the ability to read social cues. Molly has been raised by her grandmother, whom she calls Gran, and Gran is also a maid. Molly remembers that when she was 12 years old, she had always been taught her whole life by Gran to tell the truth. Honesty is the best policy. No, no, no. For Gran, honesty is the only policy. And then came the day when Molly was 12, and she lied. Her classmates at school had formed a circle around Molly on the playground at recess, and they had forced Molly to lie down on the ground and eat dirt. They kicked Molly, and they tormented her, and she was so humiliated that she ran away in the middle of the day from school. She went to the public library. She went to the ladies' room. She cleaned up her face. She washed the dirt out of her mouth, and she arrived home at the time she always did after school. And when Molly came in the door, Gran said, Molly, how was your day? And she said, it was good. She lied. And Gran found out the truth. And Gran confronted Molly. And she said, why didn't you tell me the truth? Why didn't you tell your teachers? Why didn't you tell someone? And Molly explains later, I didn't tell Gran the truth because the truth hurt. What happened at my school, she said, it had been bad enough, but Gran knowing about my suffering meant that she would experience my pain too. That's the trouble with pain, she said. It's as contagious as a disease. It spreads from the person who first endured it to those who love them the most. Do you hear it? When you love someone, your pain, it's contagious. Molly tried to spare her grandmother the pain. Though Molly is socially awkward, she knows deep in her soul the foolishness of God's truth that pain spreads from the one who endures it to those who love them the most. Everyone, every one of us who has ever loved anyone in our lives, we know this to be true. We don't want those whom we love to experience pain. On the cross, we see Jesus felt the pain of the whole world. Jesus entered into the suffering of the human race. Our pain spread to the very one who loved us the most, God. I believe that Jesus died because of God's reckless love, God's unequivocal love, God's undying love. Jesus died not to glorify suffering, Jesus died to convey the depth and the power of God's love for all of us. Now, I don't even know that it's true that Jesus set out to die. Maybe God intended for Jesus to live a long, full, and happy life, but Jesus loved so profoundly and so deeply with such compassion that in the end, Jesus suffered because of this great love. When I first came to this church, there was a couple. They were here every single Sunday. Their names were Paul and Evie Van Ostel. 
Paul had been a brilliant lawyer, but by the time I met him, he was suffering from Alzheimer's. Evie stood shorter than me, less than five feet tall, maybe she weighed 100 pounds, and every Sunday, Evie drove Paul to church and gently wrapped her arms around him and brought him into the sanctuary. He could barely shuffle his feet, but she had Paul dressed in a coat and a tie, his hair perfectly combed, and Paul would smile as she took him through the door to greet the preacher of the day. There's was a 54-year romance. Paul and Evie actually got married in the house that is next door to where I live. He was on leave from the service during World War II. She was living with her parents. They got married while he was on a brief weekend leave, and then he went back to the war. After the war, they raised two kids here. He had a good career, but the last, oh, I don't know, five, maybe ten years Evie took care of Paul alone. It was hard work. It was backbreaking work. Sometimes it was humiliating work. And yet it was a tender love story. Evie, Evie didn't do this so that she could be a martyr. She did this not because she wanted to glorify what sacrifice looks like, she did it for one reason, because she loved Paul. If you had seen them, you might have said, it's foolish, it's just foolish. She was so frail herself. But the scripture in Corinthians says that God's weakness is stronger than human strength. And I saw that very foolishness and that very marvelous nature of love manifest in the ways that Evie took care of Paul. You see, Jesus could have avoided the cross. He could have dialed back his rhetoric so that the authorities would not have been so anxious. He could have decided, oh, I'm not going to turn the tables over in the temple and cause a big ruckus to show them that their way of doing religion is wrong. He could have stopped criticizing people for their hypocritical behavior. He could have stopped calling for all people to be treated as one and as children of God, fully embraced by God, but Jesus refused. He could have stopped hanging out with the outcast, but he refused. He could have simply ignored those lepers on the edge of town. He could have turned a blind eye to the blind and the lame. He could have let the women of his time stay trapped in society's rigid rules that kept them poor and powerless. He could have said, shh, to the children instead of saying, let the children come to me and forbid them not, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus could have sort of smoothed things over and kept his mouth shut, but Jesus came to express the power of God's love for everyone in all creation, and so I believe that Jesus died because of the way that Jesus lived. I love the way Barbara Brown Taylor puts it. She said, Jesus was put to death for refusing to be less than he was. Jesus loved something more than his own life, and so he offered himself. And so, in the end, suffering was not the goal. It was simply the byproduct 
of living the way that Jesus was meant to live. I believe that Jesus died to reveal God's infinite love for you and for me and for those who don't know that they are welcome in this space. And once you and I receive this love, once we claim the power of this love, we too find ourselves weak and vulnerable. We too find within ourselves the ability to risk that others might know this love. I had the privilege recently of visiting one of the oldest members of our congregation. Virginia Watson is 98 years young. She first came to this church, I don't know if she was late teens, early 20s, but it was so long ago that on her first day here, she met Gladys Combs, the wife of the founding pastor. While I was visiting with Virginia and her family, I learned more about Virginia's family history. Virginia's father was named Adam Copeland. He, Adam raised his family on a small farm in central Missouri. When the Depression came in the 1930s, and this narrative was similar to what happened in my husband's family, they had to do what many farmers had to do. They had to mortgage the farm. There was no other way. And so Adam moved his family into town, into Jeff City, and he was grateful to find that he could get work. He took a job as a prison guard at the Missouri State Penitentiary. While working there, he befriended one of the men who had been incarcerated most of his adult life. He had really been convicted of a minor crime, and he happened to be elderly now and African-American. Adam developed a friendship with this man, and he told them, when you get out, you come, you stay with my family on the farm. We have room. It'll take you some time to get your feet on the ground, to earn a little money, and then, and then you can move on. Well, the Depression days lifted, and Adam moved his family back to the farm and began to work the land again, and the word got out that Adam had invited his friend, a black man, to come and stay there at the farm. Several of the men in town came to see Adam, and they said, Look, this is Mary's County, and no black man has ever spent the night in Mary's County, and we won't allow it. Do not let your friend come here. If you do, he will be killed. And Adam said, Well, that might be, but you'll have to kill me first. And just a couple of days before Adam's friend was released, he died from natural causes, an elderly man in prison. But what Virginia learned, what the family learned, is that nothing could stop him. Nothing could stop him from being who he was, not even the fear of death. Because it is true that God's weakness is stronger than human strength.